Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today will be cyber crimes. Our reporter, Betty Lynn Fisher, had a recent interview with the CEO of the ID Theft Resource Center in San Diego, where they talk about the dangers to consumers, just like you and me, with the war in Ukraine and the potential for an uptick in cyber crimes. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. Our team of reporters continue to cover the local home front when it comes to the war in Ukraine. We continue to talk to students who are in the area, along with pastors and folks who have immigrated from the Ukraine, and their thoughts on the ongoing and escalating conflicts in that region. And our reporters continue to follow the conflicts that are happening in the city of Hudson, from banning of books on library shelves to the toxic nature surrounding the former mayor who has resigned and also the turmoil involving the city manager there. Our reporters continue to follow what's happening in that northern Summit County city. And with spring break coming up, it's time to start thinking about travel. And they're certainly thinking about travel at the Akron-Canton Airport with the return of Allegiant Airlines and also the recent announcement that Breeze Airlines is adding two additional nonstop flights, one to Hartford and also to Nashville. We continue to watch the growth at the airport and the continuing rise in passengers since the pandemic. You can learn more about these stories and much more from BeaconJournal.com and all our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. And now it's time for our Spotlight Topic. We join in a conversation between Betty Lynn Fisher and a cyber expert about the war in Ukraine and what it could mean for cyber crimes here in Akron, Ohio and throughout the region. So I am here with Eva Velasquez. She is the CEO of the ID Theft Resource Center in San Diego. Eva, thanks so much for joining me. I know that we've talked a lot of times over the years um, to try to help give tips to consumers um, to make sure that they are not scammed, um, which is a hard thing uh, that's that's <laughs> growing in in um, it's become more difficult. So one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was. Just right now with the Ukrainian crisis, uh, literally, I got an email this morning from my corporate um, parent saying, you know, be careful of of more cybersecurity, cyber fraud, um, and take some more actions. They they suggested two-factor authentication, which is an extra layer of, you know, sending me a text to my cell phone um, to make sure it's it's me um, for any social media accounts, my personal email account. We already have some layers for work. But can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, especially in light of the Ukrainian crisis, but really any time there is a crisis or a a hurricane or, you know, something that makes the national or international news, how do scammers take advantage of that with consumers? Well, it's it's great that you're bringing this up in the context of any time there's a big external event, because that is what is important to the scammers. It doesn't matter whether it's a weather event, a health event like the pandemic or now, you know, we've got a, it, it's a war in in Europe. And any time something external is happening where it's confusing, 
there's a sense of urgency and a sense of need, the threat actors are going to leverage that in a number of ways. And and so consumers need to be very leery of a, a few things. The first one being uh, the charity scams, because this is something that that, you know, very good hearted philanthropic people are going to want to support. But I always tell people don't let the charity pick you. You pick the charity. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting incoming solicitations or requests for donations, please, please, please do your homework. If you already donate to an organization that may um, that you know well um, and that you're familiar with, that's one thing. But it, with new organizations or places you've never heard of, and I say this as a charity organization that relies on donations, so I'm I'm not at all saying never give to a new charity. I'm simply saying, do your homework, check with some of the third-party accreditation sites. There's the the Better Business Bureau has the Wise Giving Alliance. Um, there's GuideStar. There's Charity Navigator. There are a number of very reputable third-party organizations that can tell you, yes, this is a le- legitimate charity. This is how long they've been around. Here's their mission statement. Here's how they what they do with their donations, and and try to make it's very hard, but try to make a logical decision, um, even though it's it's really an emotional time um, because the scammers rely on your emotions. They are going to play on your emotions, and you know I wanted to bring up something else about the the you were talking about the multi-factor authentication codes and all of the cyber events. Look, we know that these types of conflicts are always going to bring cyber incidents. The cyber incidents are already skyrocketing. Last year, there were 1,862 data breaches. That's what we, the ITRC, tracked. We have been tracking these events since 2005. It was an all-time high. So we are already at a peak. And when you add a conflict such as this into that mix, we're going to continue to see um, data breaches and cyber events increase. What can a, a you know regular, normal old person do? Because a, a lot of times we have to rely on our infrastructure and our government and industries to protect our data and protect those systems. And they certainly are. They're making those efforts. But we have a role to play, too. And doing things like being on the lookout for phishing emails, uh, not responding to unsolicited text messages and clicking on those links, not responding to direct messages on your social media, going to the source. If you didn't con- initiate the communication, going to the source, that's going to be really, really important. And setting up multi-factor authentication like they asked you to do, Betty, is one of the it's one of our top tips anyway. Please set up multi-factor authentication on all of your accounts, certainly your social media accounts, but any other uh, online accounts that you have. And I, I know a lot of folks don't understand, well, uh, yeah, I get this code, but how is that really protecting me? Well, you have your username and then you have a password. And unfortunately, due to the state of data breaches, a lot of usernames and passwords have been compromised. They're available for sale on the dark web. And if you don't practice your good password hygiene and you reuse that same password, which please don't do that, change your password, unique passwords across all of your accounts. But because so many of them have been compromised, if someone other than you has that username and password, they can access that account. 
But if you have multi-factor authentication turned on, they can't because they need that code. So it's that extra layer of protection. So that code and, then be sent to either your email address or your cell phone or some other. That's that's the two-factor authentication for people. Correct. It's going to a known uh, way to contact you. So your known email that you have associated with that account, the known phone number that you have associated with that account. But I do have to caution people. Multi-factor authentication codes are one of those things. They, they only work when you keep them a secret. So don't share that code with anyone. It is only for you. It says right on the message when you get it, do not share this code with anyone. But unfortunately, the scammers are doing a lot of social engineering and we are seeing people, we are hearing from thousands, literally thousands of people who are having their accounts taken over because they're being talked into sharing that code. So I Really, if there's one thing that people take away from this conversation that you and I are having, it's I don't care what the reason is. I don't care how legitimate it sounds. There is no legitimate reason for you to share that code with anyone. Okay. Talk a little bit about social engineering. I did do a column about social engineering. For those who don't know, can you explain what that is? Well, you had... I think the best way to think about social engineering is it, it is a way to quote on, and I'm using air quotes here, hack into a system or an account, but rather than using technical expertise, rather than attacking the weakness or vulnerability, say in the code or the platform itself, there are psychological tactics. So it's getting someone to share the inf- willingly share the information, you know, but it's for a really good reason. And we are seeing this particularly with social media. Again, we have had thousands of victims calling us because they're having issues with Google Voice and they're having their Instagram accounts taken over. And while it may sound to people, listeners, that why is that even value? What's the value in that? Why would someone want my Instagram account? Why would someone want to uh, open up a, a Google Voice account in in my name, you know, using my my Gmail? But I'm telling you, it is very lucrative for the thieves. They will with Google Voice. It's about um, uh, not being able to be tracked. It's about them kind of obfuscating who they are, so that if their misdeeds are reported and discovered it's not going to point to them it's going to point to you Mm. oh but that google voice account is associated with eva velasquez she must be the bad actor well no i didn't even know that was you know connected to my gmail account and the and the instagram account takeover the the scammers want to leverage your followers they want to appear to be you Go to your followers with a in a position of because they're in a position of trust now and get them to part with their money or their data. And the social engineering is coming in because we are seeing them be very, very particular in the ask. How do they get you to part with your money or your information, your credentials, your data? If you are someone who is, um, you know, all about investments and I'm trying to build wealth and that's what you have all over your profiles, they are going to come to you with an investment scheme. Oh, I'm your friend. It's going to look like it's coming from your friend. And I, I had a 
20 time return on my thousand dollar investment. You should get in on this too. And you think it's a friend telling you it's not. It's a scammer who's taken over their account. Right. So you then say, sure, I'll invest that money. You send the money. It's a total scam. Sometimes you also provide your credentials. So they then take over your account and they then leverage your followers. And this chain of victimization goes on and on and on. And maybe you're not into investments. That's not really your thing. You're you're a philanthropist at heart. So you're all about I give to my community. I, I support local organizations. Well, they're not going to ask you to to invest money with them. They're going to ask you for a donation. And it's very likely going to be for a cause that you have supported in the past on your social media. So it is going to feel so legitimate and so real and so right like, of course, I'm going to support that. I've I've been supporting that cause for 10 years. That's the social engineering piece. That's what they're really doing. And it's unfortunate because we all want to be doing good in the world and they're taking advantage of that. But I just really have to caution people, particularly on social media, um, against responding to these incoming communications, even if it looks like it's coming from someone in your network. Right. So what sounds like it's really different is, you know, I've been writing about for a long time and they still exist. You know, people who still think it's the IRS calling them or their grandson calling them in the grandparent scam or, you know, things that they're they're still we still need to protect ourselves to make sure, you know, we don't get um our financial information, you know, stolen from us. But this new twist that you're talking about is like I in this case, I wouldn't necessarily be a financial victim. They would be taking um, the trust of my friends and then making them the victims, right? Using me as the medium. Absolutely. Absolutely. But a lot of times you are still the financial victim. First and foremost, you perhaps did give money. You certainly gave your credentials. Right. And, and that's why I say it's like a chain because, sure. and, and sometimes they'll even, we're calling them hostage videos. They'll even say, the scammer will even say, well, if you want your money and access to your account back, I want you to make a video saying how great this opportunity was. And some of the people are doing that because they are at such a loss of how are they going to regain this control? I'm out this money. I can't log into my Instagram account. Well, if I make this video, even though it's a lie and I'm going to say this was great experience and I made all this money. They then think they'll get their account back. And I have to tell everyone, don't make the hostage video. You're not they will not give you your money or your account back. It's not going to happen. And now you've lent credibility to the to the scammer. And again, chain of victimization, more people will go, well, if Eva thought that was great and she had success on it, she'd made a video about it. I think I'll give it a try. So it's it's two parts. It's both. You can be a victim yourself. And then you will be the instrument, the tool used to victimize other people so in what do your you network. Do when you're in that situation and you and someone says, you know, do this hostage video for me, who do I call? What do I do? You absolutely do not do the hostage video and you need to go back to the platform that's been taken over and you need to follow the process to reclaim that account. And it's going to vary. And for folks that where this has happened, I'm going to encourage them to contact the Identity Theft Resource Center. We have step-by-step sheets for all of the different platforms. Sometimes there, it is hard to follow, particularly if in the, in the case of Google Voice, 
a lot of these folks were not very familiar with that platform because they didn't have Google Voice, so they weren't users in the first place. Uh, But we can walk you through step by step by step. We can do it over the phone. You can watch the videos, and and, uh, we demonstrate the process to reclaim that account, but there is no workaround. You have to go directly to the platform, and they have to resolve the issue for you. Um, and it's wildly inconsistent. We have heard from people who have been able to reclaim their accounts within a relatively short period of time, uh, a number of days. And then we've talked to people even weeks later that they're they're going, I, I can't get in touch with anyone. So all that, to when I say all of that to let people know, you're so much better off protecting those credentials in that account than trying to unwind something after the fact. So please, on your social media accounts, unique username and password. Passwords should be 12 characters or longer and don't use them across multiple accounts. Please set up multi-factor authentication on those accounts so even if the password and username are compromised, they can't get in. And by all means, don't share those MFA codes. Just don't do it. There's no legitimate reason to. And if you start getting unusual messages from someone in your network that you know, and it just doesn't seem right, you're like, why Why is Eva reaching out to me about an investment opportunity or a, a, some kind of job opportunity or something, you know, rental opportunity or asking, oh, I need help. Uh, I've got a medical bill I can't pay. Why is Eva doing that? We always encourage people to reach out to that person outside of that particular platform. Call them, text them, get in touch, not don't respond back through direct message. Get in touch with them because it may be that their account's been taken over and they don't even know it. Okay. I should have started with this a little bit. Give me a little bit of a plug for IGFF Resource Center. I've, you know, I've, directed my readers to you a lot, but for those people who may not be familiar with you, um, talk a little bit about your organization. Sure, sure. Well, for the last over 20 years, the Identity Theft Resource Center has been providing free services to victims and concerned consumers about identity crimes. So it's very broad. Anything that has to do with your identity credentials, uh, data breaches, identity misuse and fraud, even scams and fraud. Uh, we and we provide direct one-on-one assistance, so it's not that generic level. Um, you you know only online. Here's a fact sheet. We certainly have those. We have an online help center that you can search, and that's at idtheftcenter.org. You can live chat with us while you're on the website, but. If you need very specific assistance where you need to talk to a person, we're absolutely available in that way to any way that you want to engage with us and get the help that you need. We're here. We are a 501c3 charity nonprofit organization, so all of our services are completely free to the public. You you won't be charged if you need our help, and you can Reach out to us as many times as you need. So it's not like, oh, you get one one free and then uh, then you're done. It's it's wherever, whenever you need us, uh, we can help you through this quagmire that is identity theft and fraud. Right. Uh, what's the toll free number? The toll free number. I do. I have I have it handy up here. Uh, the ITRC toll free number is eight 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 four hundred. 
Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, some queries that I've been getting the last couple of weeks from people that have gotten emails saying, um, you know, you signed up for the Experian um, data breach uh, settlement for free credit monitoring. You know, do you want to do it? Um, I know you and I have talked in the past about credit monitoring, so I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about, um, tell me if it's the same, that, you know, credit monitoring's okay, but kind of the way, you know, it's kind of like telling you that someone's trying to rob your house after They've tried to when they're at the door. Yeah. When they've broken down the door. Security freezes are much better. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, do you think like I mean, I think you and I talked about it back when this breach happened and you're like, you know, if they're if they're giving it to you, go ahead and use it. I signed up for it. I don't think I went to it once. Right. I didn't look at it once because I have the security freezes. So, you know, what's your what's your opinion about whether people should use this, um, you know, use the free credit monitoring? Well, the first thing I do want to clarify is that it was Equifax. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So in terms of the Equifax data breach settlement, um, yes, they are offering free credit monitoring. And our stance on that is still the same that, that look, if it's, if it is free and in this case it is, there, it certainly does no harm. If you are not doing anything else, if you're not paying attention, uh, having credit monitoring in place can be an added benefit to an individual. It does not, however, take the place of having a credit freeze. Credit freezes are free. Uh, thanks to some legislation a number of years ago, they are now free to the public and, and it's free to thaw them. And, and refreeze them as many times as you need to. And they've also come a long way in just how they're being implemented by the bureaus. As someone who has frozen their credit and thawed their credit, I can tell you it is not as arduous as it once was. Right. Um, and it there is a convenience factor. There is a little bit of friction because you do have to know when you're going to be using your credit and so you do have to thought for the specific bureau where the credit's going to be run new credit right i know a lot of people get confused about that that doesn't mean current credit cards it's like when i want to buy a car if i want to if i can find out and i need to finance it you know i try to find out which bureau it may go for right so this is new credit not existing credit it absolutely does not affect your existing credit and your existing relationships. So it's not going if you let's just say you bank a Chase and you have a Chase credit card, it is not going to impact that at all. It is not going to impact your credit score. It simply stops anyone, including you, from opening new lines of credit until it's thought. And those lines of credit could be simply for for a credit card. They it could be for a car loan, it could be for a mortgage, but it has to be a new they call them trade lines, but it has to be a new line of credit. That's what the credit freeze um, affects. And that's frankly, that's how you want it to work. You want your existing credit that you know is yours to continue to operate the way it already does. You just don't want any new lines of credit opened in your name without you knowing about it, without it being actually being you. And that is what that's the, the way that the credit freezes work. And that's the tool. And. You can do it for your kids. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, this may sound counterintuitive. Well, you know, children aren't supposed to have credit. Why would I do this? But there are um, victims of child identity theft, it's, and, and the thieves, are they're very crafty. They will make these, these fraudulent profiles using a birth date, not of that minor. They'll use a different birth date that makes them of age that they can avail themselves in the credit market of the credit marketplace and build these profiles. 
And it is a real thing. We do talk to victims on a semi-regular basis. Doing a credit freeze for your children will stop that behavior. They cannot um, open those new lines of credit trying to use your child's name and social security number. So I really advise parents to consider that for their minor children. Has that gotten easier? Because several years ago, actually, I talked to you about it. You know, my kids, when they were younger, I tried and I was told by a lot of the credit bureaus, you know, we don't knowingly have credit credit reports on children who are under 16. And I just went through lots of hoops and I'm not, I can't even tell you whether or not it worked or not. Um, has it gotten easier? Yes, it has. It okay. has. There, there was a time, and if we go back, if we look back maybe eight, ten years ago, there was a time when the Identity Theft Resource Center did advise people, please don't try to run your children's credit. It, this is not the way that we want to manage this because people were concerned. Oh, I need to see if my child has a credit file and if that Social Security number does. Well, and children shouldn't. So we had all of these um, state by state. We had these child identity theft protection laws that were that were rolling out. But the process now is is much better because it's not that you are now asking the bureau to run that credit and see if there's a report. You're simply providing them with the information saying this Social Security number belongs to this name with this date of birth. I and you do have to provide um uh, proof that you have the authority to act on behalf of that minor. So whether you're a parent, maybe you're a legal guardian, you do have to demonstrate that you can make those decisions. And you can do it for dependent adults as well. So if you're a guardian for an adult, you can use this same process where you can freeze their credit. And so it's not asking the bureaus to run a credit report or check on the credit report for this number. You're simply supplying this information saying, freeze it. Don't allow any credit to be opened using this social security number name and and date of birth or version thereof. I think the only caveat for parents is please keep track of this because at some point you are going to need to thought when your child does come of age, they are going to need to access it, particularly if they're applying for um, financial aid for college or student loans. They will need to thaw their credit in order to do so. So keep track of it. But boy, does it give you a lot of peace of mind as a parent. Okay. I was going to ask you about that when it comes time for college, um, if they're going to go for some student loans, obviously that's credit. So they might need to, to they will, they will absolutely need to. Yes. But then they can, I mean, and clearly then they become the adult and they should know how to then freeze or unfreeze um, the credit moving forward. Exactly. It is part of parenting in the world we live in now is, you know, teaching our kids. We teach them financial literacy. We we try to teach them how to manage credit. Well, managing your identity feeds into that. And that's a, that's a, just a big part of, of parenting right now. Um, you know, privacy, good cyber hygiene, uh, thawing and, and freezing your credit. It's it's just part of um, right. teaching our kids. Right. Well, we could talk all day. I think you and I could talk all day about different things. Are there any other kind of major highlights that you want to make sure that um, my readers are aware of? I think, you know, I talked about the social media scams, and I think that's that's a really important one. Um, I also know that right now we're while unemployment identity theft was such um, a, a huge issue for us as a, as a country yeah. and no state was immune. And while the peak is, is 
trending downwards and we're at a new normal, it is tax time. And there are some people who are reporting that they're getting a 1099-G from their state. And that's the document that is sent by the state to the the recipient of the funds because it has to be claimed on your taxes. We did see this over the last two years. It's happening again this year. So for anyone that did not claim unemployment that um, and is, has received this 1099-G, don't panic. You can visit the IRS website and follow the instructions there. You should also be able to get in touch with your state unemployment office to let them know. Uh, I need to report fraud. Uh, this wasn't me. And the IRS currently is advising people to go ahead and file their returns uh, and not including that income because it is fraudulent income. But you must report it. And, the, and then the other thing we're just barely seeing, this is this is tip of the spear news. We're also seeing people getting 1099K documents for income from eBay. Uh, and these are people who are not sellers on eBay. Now, we've only seen a small handful of those, and we're trying to figure out what's going on there. The National Consumers League also issued an alert because they were getting some of those reports. So for the bottom line is for folks, if you're getting a 1099 that you were not expecting, um, you need to go to the source of where that document is coming from and report the fraud. And then you also need to, uh, I would consult the IRS website on their advice for that particular issue because it is changing on a regular basis. But of course, you can always come to the ITRC and we can advise you as well. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much for such great tips. It's great talking. My pleasure to be here. I hope we do it again soon. Thanks. Well, that's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday or thereabouts wherever you download your favorite podcasts and also available on BeaconJournal.com and our various apps. Before we go, we have to thank our producers, BJ Liskow and Darren Warbeck, for their help behind the scenes to make all this possible. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, well, you know the routine. You have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week. Now you know Akron.